This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die. Yeah. Between the hedges, look it fly. fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the game. Dang. UGA, yeah, the name. Dang. Yeah, the offense gonna turn up, but the defense gonna win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. Welcome into another edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Uh, it is a special night. Um, we are hunkering down technically on a hunker down Monday, but uh, you probably won't hear this until uh, until Tuesday. Um, today uh, was a very good day. Not only does uh, the SEC allow uh, its member organizations, its member schools, institutions, whatever you want to call them, to uh, to start fall camp, but also they dropped the schedule today, which I feel like makes it harder to uh, cancel the season before this whole thing kicks off. So uh, Dan Young from UGA Sports is going to jump on here, and uh, we're going to discuss this schedule and how it breaks out and uh, what we think it means for Georgia and their chances of winning the conference championship we're also going to talk uh day one of fall camp uh, and see what uh what's going on there uh what are some of the updates uh with the team so and then we may actually um chat some um overseas sports too i'm finally starting to understand australian rules football which is exciting it's a it's an odd sport that i can pick up here um as i go through this whole virtual learning process through uh mnps so um, if you want to find us on social media at Believe in Dogs on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, you can also find my personal page, Corey Burton, on uh, LinkedIn and uh, at Coach Burton36 on Twitter um, as well. And then uh, at Burton.Corey uh, is my personal Instagram. Uh, you can find you can find me anywhere um, on those uh, handles, uh, we're going to promote the show there. Also, uh, if you want to sponsor the show, um, if you want me to say this show is brought to you by, insert your company name here, uh, reach out to our team at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Uh, hopefully, they'll get you set up with a good uh, sponsorship package, and we can uh, we can get you on the show as an advertiser. I'd love to have you. Um, so, uh, Manscaped, I'm looking at you. Um AG Bet Online. I'm looking at you. I'm not going to mention any names, um, but I'm looking at y'all. So, uh, also Traeger Grills. Uh, if, if you're wondering, uh, an SEC company. I 
or SEC country, I should say. Um, I would love to. Uh, I would love to pick up the art of smoking meat. So, um, Traeger, if you're listening, uh, somebody, a representative from Traeger Grills, is listening. Um, let's work something out. But um, anyway, uh, that being said, uh, enough of my uh, peddling of the show. We're going to get onto this interview. Uh, here's Dane Young from UGASports.com. Enjoy, and as always, go dogs. Uh, back for another edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. Joining me again is Dane Young from UGA Sports. Dane, how you doing this evening? Doing well, Corey. It's uh, nice to have some football to, to chat about. Yeah, absolutely. With uh, with everything that went on earlier with the Big Ten and Pac-12, I bet they're probably kind of kicking themselves for making the decision early. Um, the SEC is is going further and further down the road um, for uh, for having a season, I, I don't think they announced the uh, the full schedule tonight. If if they're not intending on starting the season and uh, starting the season with the intention of finishing the season, so uh, that being said, Dane, um, what before we really dive into the schedule uh, release because it, it kind of happened differently than than what we expected, which uh, depending on how you look at it, could be good, could be bad, whatever. But how do you think the SEC has handled this thing so far? I mean, as a whole, I think right now you have to give Greg Sankey and the people around him just a lot of credit just for their uh, patience, for their leadership. Um, You know, I think that in a world of unknowns, it seems like the SEC and its administrators have done a really good job of saying, okay, here's what we do know right now. And let's kind of, you know, what's the football that you control, what you can control, kind of do your job. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's happened uh, at an administrative level. Um, you know, while the schedule release and the chatter around it is fun, there's definitely still some hurdles to, to go. I mean, even if the football does happen like we're expecting, you know, who's allowed there in the stands? Um, what does that mean for campuses? Um, you know, at this point, I, I think we're OK with anything as long as games happen. Uh, but, you know, even as we're recording this, the University of North Carolina switched today um, from in-person instruction on campus Uh, to completely virtual online. And I think that's what the SEC has done so well is built in a few weeks for this point to know how campuses and communities will react to thousands of people being immersed together in one place uh, and just seeing what that's going to bring. And so for UGA's case, uh, that is Thursday this week when students are scheduled to be back in classrooms, uh, but they're on campus now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at some of the pictures and, and videos that are posted around the country, it it's a bit concerning, but um, also, at, you know, at the high school level, um, at least here in Tennessee, we, we have maintained that uh, even though we're in a virtual setting, that uh, sports can go on because, you know, I, I feel like we can manage a smaller group of, of athletes, even though we're not testing um, at all. We, we screen, we do as much screening as we possibly can. Um, you know, obviously we're limited with the resources that we have, but I mean, you would think the same, same applies at the college level too, right? You know, it's like, even, even if we had to, um, hunker down and go, you know, go all virtual, uh, in the student side of it, uh, you would think at that point you could probably sequester a few dorms and have the athletes stay just for the duration of the season and then do the best you can as far as testing and, and have all the resources that you have at your disposal. 
Yeah, and the SEC resources should not be a problem. Yeah, the, the testing can get expensive or, you know, you, you say dorms, but in a lot of cases, you're looking at hotel rooms for mm-hmm. uh, the nicer suites on campus for some of these places. The infrastructure is there to keep people safe. It's really just if people abide by those rules um, when they're away from the football facilities. And if you want to call that a bubble, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there comes to be some definition changes in that of like, okay, is this no longer being a student athlete? Athlete, if they can't have, you know, if they don't go by the same other, uh, you know, rules and, and uh, things that other students have to deal with. And it's just like, well, um, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> normal students are having to do the football practices either. So it, it is apples and oranges in some ways. And that term student athlete, uh, in the end, in, in a broader sense, I think will probably come back to hurt the NCAA in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the idea of, you know, it's not fair to have all the students virtual and the football players there. Well, you know, again, I, I bring up the high school uh, example. Our girls' soccer team is practicing. We had a little, uh, I don't want to call it conflict, but we had a little conflict over uh, over the game field today with the girls' soccer team. Uh, they're practicing full bore. Uh, volleyball is uh, practicing full bore, even though we can't get them inside the building to practice in the gym. They're actually using the tennis courts right now uh, to to practice outside. So sports are going on, um, and I don't know when volleyball will try to. Uh, I don't know when they'll try to get in the gym, but you know, sports are going on. Extracurriculars extracurriculars can happen even though it's a virtual setting. So um, it's it's got to be you know you got to understand that, and you got to understand I guess um, you know people's. Uh, logic in that whole argument is, I don't want to say flawed, but you know it's it's one of those things where, yes, that okay, we're not as you know it's not fair, but then again, regular students aren't aren't doing that. So let's talk schedule. Um, let's talk. I, schedule. I, I do before before we get to schedule, I just do want to say like it is obvious how sports and society are interwoven, though, just based on players' reaction to this stuff. Saying I don't want to go home. This is better than where I'm at. Uh, this is my dream to be in this spot, and so. I don't want to say that the tragedy is refreshing. I don't mean it that way, but it's kind of refreshing for people to acknowledge. Yeah. Sports are a big part of my life. And these players look at Justin Fields, for example, he's a guy that, that he doesn't have a whole lot to gain at this point from playing other than the fact that he loves to play football. So to me, that's been refreshing to kind of see that love of the game at such even a corporate level. Yeah. I mean, these players pushing and and all that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's definitely good. And so many players have, have, have gone beyond the hashtag we want to play. They're actually giving examples of why they why they truly believe that they're better off with uh, on campus with these medical staffs and things like that. And now so, I'll stop producing your show and let you produce your own show. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, I, I, I realized that uh, you probably had something uh, a rebuttal to that. So um, you know, it's all good. At this point, you've been my most frequent guest. So hell, you're co-producer at this at this at this point. So. Either I'm too available or I'm good at this. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't know. I, I guess I said before you're glutton for punishment. That might be true. I don't know. <laughs> I'll take um, it. Yeah, I'll take it too. I, I enjoy having you on. But um, so Georgia opens up with Arkansas. Um, you know that's uh, that was that came out earlier this afternoon, and then the rest of it came out October third at home versus Auburn. Um, October tenth at home versus Tennessee. October seventeenth at Bama. Then the next week, the twenty fourth at Kentucky. Uh, Halloween by uh, the Florida game moved up a, or moved back a week to November 7th in Jacksonville, then on the road at Missouri, at home again the 21st of November versus Mississippi State in the Pirate, um, then back on the road uh, the 28th at South Carolina, finished the season at home versus 
Vandy. So a lot to digest there. Uh, Arkansas, obviously a great team to start with, brand new staff. Auburn, uh, glad it's at home, glad it's early. Uh, Tennessee, you know, again, glad it's early. Bama, um, almost would have rather opened up with them, um, but uh, good to get them earlier rather than later before they really hit their stride. I mean, I guess as much of, of that as you can get with Bama. Kentucky, not an easy road game against Bama. Uh, Florida, hopefully, hopefully not too beat up, um, and hopefully that uh, that game is uh, we're relatively unscathed. And then uh, at Mizzou, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Van, a great way to finish. We'll be in stride um, at that point. Those were my kind of initial reactions to uh, what when I when I read the schedule at first. So, what about you? What do you think? It's definitely a front-loaded schedule, I would say. If, if Georgia can get to that last month, I think Georgia will be very happy uh, to see the likes of Missouri and Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vandy. If you get to that point, even I think with one loss, you have to feel really good about how the season's going at that point. Uh, because I think with the 10-game SEC slate to ask any team to be undefeated, that's just a tall order. I mean, a, a league so deep with so many good players and so many good coaches, I don't say 10-0 for anybody, and that includes Georgia and Alabama. 9-1 maybe, uh, especially yeah. since they have to play each other. Um, but, you know, I, I look at the first game against Arkansas, and I think a lot of the headlines are going to be, all right, Sam Pittman against Georgia. They obviously know each other well, but, you know, it's not just that. There's also Felipe Franks, who's likely to be the quarterback for Arkansas, which Georgia fans will love to see that because he was quite the struggle against Georgia when he was at Florida. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Arkansas is going to be uh, try to run you over with a good running back with Rakeem Boyd, and I think it's going to be a good little early test to kind of, all right, who's going to hit each other in the mouth first because Sam Pittman's going to have his team ready. I mean, that guy is, uh, he's not going to be holding back punches or anything. So I, I like it. I do think one underrated thing, one underrated difficulty for Georgia is that's a long way to travel for a first game uh, mm -hmm. during, you know, COVID and all this stuff. And some players, you talk about being uncomfortable. Um, that's it, going to be the furthest they've traveled in, in quite a bit, I would say, for a lot of those guys. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an underrated aspect of this thing. And, uh, you know, any road trip is difficult. Any long road trip is difficult, COVID or not. Um, you're cramped in a plane for whatever. And I don't know if they're going to go uh, minor league style and ride the bus. But um, yeah, that'd be a long ride from Athens to Fayetteville. I'll tell you that. Exactly. Oh, wow. Um, I, I wouldn't envy that. that. That's for sure. But, I mean, you, you've got to think that things are things are happening in favor of that. And I guess you get the long road trip uh to start the road uh, or start the, the, the road to 10 and 0 as we say, but to start the sec slate um, and maybe coming off camp when you're the freshest might be the easiest possible spot for that road trip. Um, Auburn, does Bo Nix bounce back? Does he, does he start a little bit faster this year? Or are, are they a team that's, that's dangerous early on? You know, what, what's the deal with Auburn? I think you'd rather catch Auburn early than late. Uh, that tends to be kind of the book of Gus Malzahn. It's once they get some stuff figured out, they can kind of roll a little bit. Also, Auburn opens up with Kentucky, and I think Kentucky is probably the most dangerous uh, under-the-radar team in the SEC. We just did our uh, look ahead to who Georgia players should know from uh, each of their opponents uh, in the upcoming season, and uh, we've we've had to – for certain teams, we've had to split it into two sections, offense and defense. This is up on UGASports.com. So for Alabama, there was too many players to include in one article, so we did an offense and defense. Same for Florida. We're having to do the same for Kentucky, and I don't think people realize 
players are returning on Kentucky's roster based on PFF grades. Um, and that includes four offensive linemen that had a 70 or, uh, or above, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, me and Brent Rollins are doing this series on UGASports.com. You can easily argue that Kentucky has a top three offensive line in the SEC. And if you want to go in terms of total continuity, you might argue that that Kentucky has the best returning offensive line in the conference. Combine that with Terry Wilson coming back at quarterback, who I kind of think of a poor man's Nick Marshall, where he's, he doesn't have quite the arm that Nick Marshall does. But, I mean, he's a jitterbug. He can uh, really gain yards on the ground. And they've got a couple good runners. And Mark Stoops has really built a good program at Kentucky, um, where I would say that their expectation is to get eight wins a year, which is – you know, really wild for Kentucky if you think about the, the history of their program. So I think that's going to be a tough start for Auburn to get that first and then have to play Georgia second. That's a really tough, going to be physical back-to-back games. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't envy that Kentucky game. I mean, you, you look at just where they cu- came off of, uh, you know, his first year at 2-10 and 10 with, with Stoops and, and just kind of how they've climbed out of, out of that cellar. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, they finally have – an actual quarterback, you know, they're not playing Lynn Bowden or a wide receiver at that position. So you, you got to think just by that alone, they're going to, they're going to improve. Uh, Bama is Bama, um, but they lose Judy. They lose rugs. Uh, they lose Tua, uh, but they get Najee Harris back. They still have Devonte Smith. They still have uh, Jalen Waddle. They still have, um, yeah, you could say those receivers are gone, but man, the receivers that are still there. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. They're, <laughs> they're great. I mean, Devontae Smith still holds the dagger from, from a few years ago. So, um, well, And I think Jalen Waddle's probably better than he is from what I saw in the Iron Bowl last year. That's what's scary about it. And then you don't know who's behind them. You mentioned Najee Harris. I do think, though, that Alabama on defense, pretty weak. Uh, when we did our PFF grades on them, there were two returnees that were really worth mentioning, and Patrick uh, Sertan Jr. and, uh, oh gosh, I'm losing a name now, middle linebacker coming off the ACL. Oh God, I'm losing the name too. Quentin, uh, Dylan Moses. It, uh, it is Moses. It's not Quentin. Quentin's. A, it's not Quentin Moses. But, uh, Dylan a, Moses. D- yeah, Dylan. Yeah, I guessed right. Hey, um, yeah, Dylan Moses, uh, Patrick Sertain, uh, and then a whole bunch of unknowns. Uh, but the receiver core. I mean, Waddle's a, a force in special teams too. So you got to watch out for that. But uh, Tennessee, catch them early. Uh, are are they a team that's going to start out of the gates hot? Or what, what do we know about Tennessee? Well, based on what we uh, hear today, it sounds like Cade Mays will not be eligible to play for Tennessee, which is uh, quite an interesting deal for Georgia fans to hear about that because Tennessee was also on the verge of having one of the more talented offensive lines in the SEC, I think. Uh, Trey Smith is a stud. I mean, they've they've got a couple guys there. I think Garantano, (laughs) I feel like he and Kellen Mond are coming back for their combined 17th seasons of SEC football. And yet you still don't know what you're going to get from them, which is uh, quite crazy. crazy. Uh, You know, Jim Chaney is going to have some weapons more so than uh, I would say that, that Tennessee had last year. They did reel off six straight wins at the end of the season. It wasn't against the best of the SEC, and I wouldn't say it was the most uh, flashy of performances, but I think they're a tough, gritty team. Um, and I, I expect Tennessee to get five or six wins, but I don't see them contending for either, you know, the, definitely not the conference, but even the division uh, as a whole. So what are we look? What are we looking at with uh, Kyle Trask? I mean, he's getting a lot of love uh, from, from the media and from the preseason polls and all the publications you read is he's going to be the next great guy coming out of the uh the sec what what you know what does he bring to the table what what are the gators uh looking like i mean from quarterback perspective i think there's a larger discussion about like the sec when's the last time that you had a league with such 
unproven commodities at quarterback. And even the returnees are that way. I mentioned Garantano and, and um, Kellen Mond, but I think Trask is that way where, yeah, he's solid, but I mean, is he really a great playmaker? Yeah, you know, he can score some points. You know, he can do some positive things, but is he a guy that any defense really fears? I would say the same about Mac Jones at Alabama or Bo Nix even in Auburn right now. Like, yeah, who's the totally. best quarterback in the SEC right now? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not Holinsky. It's not... Uh, I mean, I might venture to say it's Knicks right now. Um, or I might be venture to say that Jamie Newman probably comes in, and he, he didn't even start in the SEC, so I don't even know if he's eligible for, for this discussion. Uh, John Reese Plumley, maybe? I don't know. I mean, he was explosive and dynamic yeah. for sure, mainly with his feet. But still, uh, can Lane Kiffin use him in a way to kind of accentuate <laughs> what he did in his freshman season? Or do we – not have to go further than the guy that's replacing Joe Burrow and Miles Brennan at LSU, another unproven commodity, but in LSU's offense with a lot of good weapons, maybe it's him. Like that's what I'm saying is that we've all watched a lot of football and I don't think we have a lot of answers at quarterback in the league, which is pretty exciting. I think from a fan's perspective. Yeah. I mean, because it could go from this might be the most talented and deepest quarterback league in the country. Like it is at most positions or it could just be, a complete and total flop where you have like one guy drafted in the fifth round and everyone else is, you know, coaching or playing arena football or joining the rock in the XFL. So, um, yeah, Kyle Trask is somebody that I thought, um, had a lot of hype and then I feel like left a lot out there uh, to be desired. I, I think it's one of those things where I felt like he should have had more command, um, of the offense, especially by the time he got to the Georgia game, but it just seemed like he was a deer in the headlights with the, with the pressure that Ojalari and, uh, Herring and, uh, Trevon Walker and, uh, you know, those guys were, were, were bringing. And, and I felt like he was looking at the rush more so than, than making his progressions downfield. So that's concerning if you're a Florida fan and, you know, if you're Dan Mullen, that's something that I guess you're working on, but, I don't know how much you can drill that without live bullets, but you know, that's well, happiness that in life me. is how you manage your expectations. Right. And so when yeah. Trask came in, the expectations were, all right, well, here's a guy didn't even start in high school. He's just kind of coming in just because this is the deal we have right now with Felipe mm-hmm. Franks is out and mm-hmm. Emory Jones, maybe not be quite there. So the expectations were super low for Trask. And I think he easily exceeded those just with how steady he was. Mm-hmm. Now what happens when those expectations get ratcheted up with a whole off season of, all right, let's see what he can really do. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that Trask may not end up being the starter for very long. At Florida. No, I, but we'll I, see. I, I don't think so either. I, I think you got a whole year of film on him and, and we kind of know where he's at. I think he's kind of hit his peak. So um, now Missouri, Mississippi state, South Carolina, Vandy, obviously you, you got to think that, South Carolina is the best of that bunch, maybe. You know, what's the toughest game in that stretch? I mean, you know, you, you got a you got a really difficult scheme to defend against uh, with with Leach and and uh, Mississippi State, but then probably the most talented group is South Carolina. We don't know what to expect out of Andy, but they have two promising coordinators and, and a whole bunch of change um, in, in that program. And you get them in the final game, they might be hitting a hitting a stride that you didn't think they could hit. Uh, so that could end up being one of those games that you, you think is a cakewalk, and then all of a sudden it gets really tough because of where you catch them and what point of the season you catch them in. So out of that four games, what what do you think, you know, as far as the most difficult game and the, the, the one you have to sweat the most? 
to me, I think it's at Missouri. Some of that's because of their road trip factor, but some of it, that series that I was referencing that uh, Brent Rollins and I are doing uh, on UGASports.com about pro football focused returnees for each school. Uh, Missouri had a few more guys in the trenches than I realized, and South Carolina does not have that, according to the grades last year. Uh, I, I do think that South Carolina's offense is also going to be a bit unknown because how much respect Georgia fans have for Mike Bobo and how quickly can he get something turned around there, especially with, I would say everyone agrees that Ryan Helensky has a lot of really good arm talent. Um, maybe he needs to be a little, bit, a little bit safer with the football, but I think Bobo would rather have a gunslinger than someone that's not willing to take chances. Um, I just don't see Georgia losing to South Carolina two years in a row, but I didn't see Georgia losing to South Carolina one year in a row. Um, so I, t- to me, I just think that at Missouri gets a little bit squirrely, especially considering that that's going to be coming off the heels of the Florida game, which again, that's not a home game. That's going to be traveling to Jacksonville for that as well. So it, if there's a year that the trip to Jacksonville may hurt Georgia, just in terms of having to do an extra week of travel that other teams aren't, this would probably be that year. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree there. I mean, you, you have a long road trip on the heels of that, which makes it even even squirrelier and even trickier. But uh, going back to your point on uh, on South Carolina, you know, um, I think you hit the nail on the head with Holinsky. A lot of arm talent, but I just don't think uh, whether it was development or or just something that um, he just doesn't have, maybe. But the development of being able to take care of the ball and be able to get it where it needs to go. Um, I think the play calling will be better in his favor and will help him uh, be able to, to do that. I think they'll, they'll have easier reads for him. They'll have things that he can, uh, that he can accomplish early in the year. They'll catch a stride. And I, you know, I really, I really like uh, what Bobo can do. I mean, I, I think if Bobo can have an explosive offense with Hudson Mason, you know, what can he do with Ryan Holinsky? So um, that's got to factor in. Um, so, and get, you get them, late too so you know that's one of those things where especially well the crowd's not going to play a, a factor in that I, I don't believe but um you know you got to think that that's got to be something that you know you catch them maybe at the wrong time as well um but that could be a tricky game as um and then i'm really excited I, i've, I've kind of studied mike leach's offense when he was at um when he was at wazoo and uh, a lot of the principles that he has and i mean he just he just, I think Mike Leach, out of all the coaches on, on our schedule, um, he has the, I think he has the best feel of the game. And he's somebody that um, can call the game off an index card with a few jotted scribbled notes. And, and uh, you know, you see these people with these big Waffle House menus. And then, then you see uh, Mike Leach, who's uh, pulling a Post-it note out of his back pocket every once in a while just to just to make you think he's actually looking at it. And uh, and he calls these brilliant games. And, and, I mean, he's one of those guys that's just too smart for the room. So, um, that's a tricky game in in its own right. You just hope that uh, in terms of just SEC continuity, that Mississippi State people would just have a lot of patience with Mike Leach, uh, not just for his antics, which I think are funny, but some people don't. That's fine. Um, but just like the talent gap that he's going to experience in the SEC West is going to be a larger gap than he's experienced in any other league that he's been in thus far. And that's including Texas Tech to Texas. Um you know, to me, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a rocky start. I'm looking at probably two wins for them out of their 10 games. Uh, but maybe if they climb further than that, you know, I did my hastily uh, helmet schedule uh, wins and losses. And I think I had them at two and eight. But I mean, I, I would trust Mike Leach by the end of the season to have his team ready to win the Egg Bowl. Mm-hmm. But the Egg Bowl can like, – that's one of those games, man, that that can go to either team any year, whatever reason – 
that's just one of the best things in sports is the Egg Bowl. And now you get those two guys around it with Leach and Lane Kiffin. The it's going to be fun. Up, the week leading up is going to be awesome. It's going to be uh, – you're going to want to tune into Twitter if, if, if you're not already tuned into their Twitters. You're going to want to follow them at least that week and just see the hilarity that ensues. Um, I would have been fine with 10 Egg Bowls play each other for the entire yes, season. Yes, 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 yes. Just so that they could interact with each other week in and week out. You know, just don't leave the state of Mississippi. Just play each other. Just rotate. You know, go go two on, two off, two on, two off, you know. Two and and off, then, like, if it's still, play. you know, five and five at the end of it, the day of the SEC championship, they have to play again just to be able to settle it for the, yeah, you know, the, best of the series. The yeah, so you get two trophies. Uh, you get the Egg Bowl trophy and then the SEC for everybody else. So, uh, yeah, that would be um, – you know, we talked promotion relegation. Now that, you know, this might be our second best idea, you know. They really should hire us for, you know, whatever this new college football committee they need to make uh, with, with a commissioner. And we need to be in charge of, like, managing the leagues because you could definitely you could definitely have promotion relegation between Power 5, Group of 5, FCS, and you could even do it on down to uh, D2 and D3 and, and have, like, can you imagine um, – can you imagine if uh, University of Wisconsin Whitewater went on a run and ended up in the Big Ten? I mean, why not? Right, that's yeah. how it should be. That that would be that would be outstanding. You have uh, you have Whitewater uh, rolling into Purdue and, and beating Purdue. You would and, lose Rutgers forever. They'd be in purgatory somewhere, but that's okay. They would be they would be forever in the MAC. Oh, I don't know if they stay there. I think they'd at least fall down to Division Two at some point maybe maybe well i mean i, I would I, I feel like they would be i feel like they're kind of like the uh if, if we're going to use the if we're going to use the premier league uh, example they're kind of like what fulham was for a lot of years they were just middle of the table always safe from relegation but never threatening to do anything to make any sort of european league or any sort of cup run they were just right there happily at like 10 and 11 just 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 rolling right there in the middle and they just they just stayed up for a long time. They finally they finally went down. They finally got relegated. But um, that's from a programming standpoint, though, I do think the SEC needs to make it just a law. In which I know they don't make laws, but let this be the first. You can never have the Egg Bowl and the Iron Bowl on at the same time. They Ever. typically they typically don't. The Egg Bowl is usually on Thanksgiving night, right? Yeah, it is. But I'm saying like they should keep it that way. It should always stay that way. Everything's changing around us right now, Corey. It's 2020 and, and some that weird stuff's true. happening. That so what true. I'm saying is let's preserve and make sure if you want to make sure they're on separate days, that's wonderful. I, I will always approve of that. But yeah. I just want to make sure that every college football season, I get to watch those two games in, in, their, in, in its entirety. Even if it's just different time slots, I'm cool with that. Yeah, um, oh, that's even better. If you want to start one at, you know, 3.30 and another at 7.30, then there's my day. I'm done. Yeah. Just make sure Georgia and Georgia Tech are playing at noon. Yeah, you get George, you get the clean old-fashioned hate at noon. Then you get uh, Iron Bowl at 3.30. And then uh, after um, all day of watching those two games and, and watching Kiffin and Leach on Twitter, then you get the Egg Bowl, and then you finish out the day. And it's and it's great. And then during halftime of the Egg Bowl, you can switch to like Florida, Florida State or some other lame rivalry. But um that would be uh that would be a full day right there i mean that would be worth the whole season i think so um, when i think florida florida state for some reason i think it's always raining and tebow sliding in the mud the image is always in my mind yeah. for that robbery yeah he's he, it looks like he's got all that 
he's got all that paint all over him, and he's like he's going all full pro wrestler style, and and just like trying to pump up the crowd between you know whatever. But I always think of uh, I also always think of them. They're always fighting in midfield. Um, that always happens with with those two teams, and uh, I always think of. Um, you know, with with Georgia, Georgia Tech, I always think of just looking up in Bobby Dodd Stadium and just seeing a sea of red, yeah. and being just like, well, it's a home game for us. Um, and then I always think, you know, Ohio State, Michigan. I'm always thinking like, I'm, I'm waking, I'm I'm just waking up. I'm coming off of my uh, turkey coma. Yes, I have a two day turkey coma. Don't as judge. you should. Don't judge. Um, and it's uh it's one of those games where I'm like oh wow well, this you know this game's good and then the, you know halftime happens and then it's a blowout and I'm making fun of my friend who's a Michigan fan and <laughs> we're all we're all kind of piling on so uh, rivalries you know you know Dane I think we're making a case more and more that we should be on the college football committee um, and if anybody's listening please hire us because we have a lot of good ideas as far as conferences titles and all that stuff I I said this on my show uh, my last show uh, I thought. Um, you know, with, with some of the pending changes uh, that the NCAA probably needs to make um, if they're not going to hire, uh, if they're not going to have somebody that, um, you know, if Mark Emmert's not going to act like the president of a central governing body for uh, National Collegiate Athletics, um, then they should hire somebody else and completely blow that up and restructure it. And I think one of the things they should change is have the group of five have their own national championship. Go to the high school model. Have each level have their own national championship. I'm cool with that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is that too close to everybody gets a trophy, or what do you think of that? I mean, I want promotion and relegation, so absolutely not. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, and if anything, that should be some kind of reward for that team that wins the national championship as a way to thrust your program forward into the main picture, which is promotion and relegation, but that would have happened anyway in our discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea a lot because I think – I mean, you would have tuned in last year to see, I mean, if you're talking group of five, I guess App State was right there. Mm -hmm. App State, Boise State. I mean, yeah, you would have watched that. Yeah, I would have watched it, definitely. It would have been a great game. And and they could even do it like college football playoff style where you have like App State, Boise State. uh, Who else? Who else was in that? Um, Memphis and... uh, UCF. Probably UCF or, or, or a MAC team or... You Cincinnati know, sneaks in there sometimes. Yeah, Cincinnati, probably. Um, you know, one of those, somebody like that. Uh, I would watch a college playoff with that. Absolutely, I would. College football needs a commissioner, and it needs to be Steve Spurrier. And I'm, I say that as someone that covers Georgia. I think Steve Spurrier is great for the entire sport. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. Um, and he would he would come in and do the ceremonial uh, ceremonial visor toss. I mean, did you see his quote about uh, the conferences not playing? It was essentially saying, well, they don't usually make it to the uh, the main part of the postseason anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to love that. I mean, it's 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 not surprising and it's great. Um, it, it's great to hear. And I just, you know, early on, you probably hate him because he's cocky. And then you realize that he just says really funny stuff and, and he's just a competitive dude. And you learn over time to appreciate Steve Spurrier. So. Uh, that's one of those things where I just okay, what what is what does Spurrier have to say about this? And and uh, that's what made the Florida Florida State rivalry fun. You have you have Spurrier in a press conference. That's one thing I picture Spurrier at a press conference talking about free shoes, mm-hmm. um, and talking about um, you know when he talks about Auburn and them not being able to read, um, you know when their library 
Uh, burnt down, he said, well, it's a shame they lost all those coloring books. Um, you can't spell, you can't citrus. spell citrus without UT. Yeah, all that stuff. And it, and it you know, and you're like, it, in the moment, you're probably like, man, that's like, that's messed up. Why would he say that at a press conference? That's so unprofessional. And then you, then you go back and, you, and you're like, oh, that's freaking brilliant. When even the one about Georgia, you know, you used to say, I like playing Georgia early in the year because they should have a few guys suspended and Georgia fans will get mad. But like for a long time, that was just kind of the fact. He wasn't wrong. I mean, he wasn't lying. <laughs> he really wasn't lying. So, um, yeah. yeah I did uh, want to ask you because, I mean, you've done – so let's say the crowd noise isn't there, even if it's 20,000 fans in the stands, whatever. I don't know what it's going to end up being. Which team in the SEC do you think has the most to gain from – a reduced amount of crowd noise or if you want to go the other way, which team has the most to potentially lose saying that they would typically feed off the crowd. LSU um, has the most to lose. Um, they probably have the most raucous crowd. Uh, Tennessee has a lot to lose um, with their, with their crowd noise. Um, Bama, Georgia, you know, the teams that with the huge stadiums and the, and the raucous crowds, I mean, they probably, it's probably going to be the biggest transition for them, but teams like, I think Kentucky has a lot to gain with with the with the no crowd noise. I think they're a team that um, they have good crowds, but they're a team that is typically um, very pesky on ro- in road environments, uh, and they're a team that's just kind of uh, can can play through through just about anything. Uh, I believe, um, obviously, Vandy is a, is akin to uh, to crowd noise at all times, so they might actually be relieved that there's no crowd noise. Um, if that See, I kind of looked at it and was like, if this feels a bit more like high school in some ways, would that not benefit Gus Malzahn? It would. Um, it, it absolutely would. Um, I, I think because he he's really the only team in this in this conference that does the the tempo stuff that that high schools do that high schools do. So you get a big play and you get up on the line, and you get tempo going, and and that that's hard to defend, and and you're. You know, when there's no crowd noise to kind of pump you up and get your adrenaline going, now you're starting to kind of hear yourself breathe and you're starting to kind of get in your own head like, man, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I got to line up, okay. All right, we're calling, uh, you know, bear, mint, cover three. All right, uh, wait, no, we call it, okay, and the ball goes over your head. And, you know, you're confused and then you come off the sideline, your coaches are yelling at you and it's reverbing in the stadium and, and it's, just a, it's just a weird atmosphere. Like, you make a good play and usually guys that pop up and are like, get pumped up like they don't get pumped up and you know football is such a game of energy that you almost need a little bit of crowd noise um even at the high school level when you get these crowds that do the cowbells and the shakers and the you know just even the even some of that but um you would you would like to think that some of these teams get creative with some things that they do um maybe the sidelines get a little bit more into it to kind of make up for that because you know you go back to the camp environment. Some of these guys just get hyped by their buddies getting hyped. So, um, you know, how much of that plays into it? Yeah, I think a lot of that could play into it. Um, I also think that it could be beneficial for, you know, this is such a weird lead up to a season. I think Mike Leach probably would enjoy not having a lot of fans around because he'll be able to communicate a little bit more easily with his team. Yeah. Uh, so I think maybe that's helpful for some of the the new coaches that they don't have to, worry about having to explain so much. I asked the same question to Jim Donnan and he said the biggest difference that he thought is that there would be fewer offside penalties, um, mm-hmm. defensive ends or linebackers coming down the edge, uh, trying mm-hmm. to time the snap because they'll be able to hear it or they'll be able to see it a little bit better. 
Um, And so in that case, you're probably looking at a little bit of a cleaner product. Um, But with such a jumbled spring, I I think there'll still be a lot of mistakes in other areas. Yeah. I mean, you you come off no spring practice and all that stuff. And, um, you know, that that's gotta be, that's gotta be something for at least new staffs. And and there's a lot, there's been a lot of turnover in this conference, at least with um, head coaches and, you know, a lot of schools, new coordinators. Um, So another sneaky factor I think is not starting till September 26, you get, you know, essentially you get what, six weeks of, uh, of, of prep time, a full fall camp prep time, uh, fall camp open today as we record on a Monday um, you, you like to think that, you know, six weeks of full speed, uh, stuff with, I'm sure they're going to, um, you know, manage and get some scrimmages in there and get some live bullets. Uh, you have to think that a, they're going to get to evaluate some guys a little bit more in depth. Uh, and, and then B, you still got that extended time to get your, to get your system in. So that's got to benefit people like, um, like Mississippi state. Like uh, like Vandy with new coordinators, like Arkansas with with a brand new staff, like Georgia with with Todd Monken, and and you know anybody that's made changes, anybody that's got new new bodies at new positions, you know that's got to be something that factors in as well with the with the extended uh, training camp. One of the things, and I've praised Greg Sankey a ton for pushing the the season back and the SEC as a whole, um, and mainly for all the COVID related reasons. But when you look at the sports landscape right now, the lack of training camps and the lack of continuity in terms of the preparation for a season has resulted in a lot of injuries. I think you're seeing it specifically with baseball when they essentially did their fall camp slash spring training. It wound up being two weeks and then let's go. Um, You saw a bit of it in in the NBA. I think you're definitely going to see it in the NFL. Just protecting these athletes uh, and giving them time to kind of ramp up to what sec caliber football is i think not only was it wise i think it was critical to avoid a lot of injuries and i still think you're probably going to see a lot of injuries and mm-hmm. in george's case in the last month we've broken the stories at, at ugasports.com you're looking at i think four of the true freshmen having some kind of procedure done um stemming from injuries that happened in high school um that they were trying to play through or maybe it needed some of those smaller in nature whether it be like a knee scope that's a couple weeks Darnell washington had one of those um Arian back, smith, yeah Darnell washington's back he's he's going in practice uh, Arian smith i don't believe is back yet uh, i don't know if kirby that one way or the other he had two injuries uh since signing in the spring uh, we broke the news this week that keely ringo um, is going to be out for quite a while. I would be surprised if he played this year, if I'm honest, just because he had a, a pretty severe shoulder surgery. Um, that It was an injury that was in high school. They were trying to work through it and um, just couldn't happen. So right. uh, been down on the depth chart a little bit, but he's so talented that I think he would have found some playing time at some point. The other question that we have to, to determine with all this is what does this mean for the redshirt rule? You're going to have two fewer games. Does that still mean that you get – four games and can still red shirt. I mean, the NCAA is not really quick to tell you these things right now. No, they're not. And they probably don't know. They probably haven't even, that's a stone that's probably left unturned. And uh, you would think that they probably, given the circumstances, they, they might just leave that alone and, and just say, okay, well, you know, this year's kind of an odd year. Um, you know, I, I have to think that if you even get COVID at all, you probably, you could probably take a medical red shirt if it happens at any point from, from here on out. Um, so, um, that's, that's probably something that's, that's left untouched. So, um, fall camp started. So, um, was there any significant action to, 
today? Was there anything that that we could uh, deduce and, and tell from from the action today that you know somebody stood out? Somebody was you know somebody did this or somebody did that. I mean, as you would expect, media was not allowed to be at practice, and I think that's going to be the case for really the entirety of the season. Uh, and I think yeah. the closest that media is going to be getting to players and, and Kirby Smart is the same thing that you and I are doing, Zoom conference calls. Um, yeah. And then maybe if you happen to see someone on campus or something. But um, it's going to be pretty insulated in the sense of, like, I think it's going to be hard to deduce a lot of things. And I think coaches will probably use that to be even extra secretive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the athletic department did put out 59 seconds worth of video um, and it was pretty much ups. Uh, and so yeah. I, I can tell you, Jamie Newman looks like a, a good quarterback in his uh, uniform, not even full pads or anything, but right. you know, the, the off the bus thing. I mean, I'm excited. Hey, wait, I mean, <laughs> You know, <laughs> on the hoof, or that, that was some segment that we that used to be for on every uh, on every prospect's profile on their rivals page back when I back when I started was the there was like the on the hoof uh, statement about him the on the hoof evaluation and I don't know where that came, I don't know who came up with that idea but um, so yeah I, I guess it's going to be one great mystery as to who's performing and I guess just have to re- uh, rely on the insiders if 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 they even are allowed to practice and if they're even allowed around so. Be- information will still flow to to certain areas and, and yeah. that's our job to have sources in these spots and uh figure out what we can but mm-hmm. you know the the you know, players talk to sometimes so we'll get wind of some things i mean I, i'll tell you that these the depth defensively just stands out i mean even the true freshmen just seeing them you know in a photo or on tape you look at a guy like mk sherman uh who's probably not even I would say high on depth charts at this point, but this guy's just massive. He does not look like most true freshmen uh, in college. And so he is just in some incredible work on his body. And uh, Jermaine Johnson, kind of the same thing when he's on the team photo uh, at the coach's house saying they had dinner or, or whatever for the position group. And it just stands out. Man, this guy's such a massive human being. Oh, yeah. uh, you combine that with a speedster like Nolan Smith, who looks you know a little more slim and trim. You just look at the defense, you're like, my God, the amount of options that Kirby Smart has to, to use it at Georgia's disposal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they rotate guys in because, I mean, I think you're going to want to keep fresh legs out there, and, and there's a wealth of that. I saw comparisons to the 2011 Bama defense, and uh, I saw an adjective used as terrifyingly good on defense. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know. And and the things you can do with that group, as you said, as you alluded to, um, allows you more creativity as far as how you can get pressure, how you can mix up coverages, how you can play games in the secondary because you have those veteran guys that can direct traffic. Uh, and you have so many guys that have playing experience, not necessarily starting experience, but just playing experience in, in that in that whole deal. And, and uh it's uh it's gotta be it's gotta be extremely valuable. And I, I think one thing that we're we're overlooking as far as the no crowds is that a lot of these freshmen will feel a little bit more comfortable if they get if and when they get in the game because you know I think part of what scares freshmen is when they step in front of ninety five thousand people or if they're on the road at you know somewhere like LSU where or Tennessee where there's a hundred you know over a hundred thousand people you know that can that can kind of freak you out and when there's not that many people in the stands you know even if it's even if at some point by the midseason uh, things improve drastically and we're at twenty percent capacity. That's still, you know, a touch over high school for a lot of those guys, and and so they kind of feel more at home because they can communicate. Um, they're just more comfortable, just knowing that, 
you know, their teammates and, and are, are watching them and, and it's just a little bit more at ease. And, uh, and, and I think that that kind of will help the anxiety uh, for these freshmen. So that's something that as you were talking and as you mentioned these freshmen, that's something that just popped into my mind. I think versatility is going to be the key on defense. So like losing a depth piece like Keely Ringo likely for the season, I would say. Mm-hmm. It, it really speaks to how versatile Tyreek Stevenson and Mark Webb can be. Mm-hmm. Because look at Stevenson, and I'm like, that guy could play any defensive back position. Nickel, star, safety, corner, he could do it all. And, and he would probably thrive at all of those. And I think Georgia will use him to kind of be the you know, the, the whole Swiss Army knife thing. Um, and, and that will help in the depth that could be you you know lost in Ringo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, versatility, that's the key. I mean, terrifyingly good and, and uh, versatility, uh, creativity, I think those are two things that, that can uh, – that can be used to uh, describe what this defense is going to, what resources defense is going to utilize in order to get through uh, what looks to be a gauntlet of a start of the schedule. So um, any, so before I let you go, Dane, uh, I definitely do appreciate you coming on. Anything you want to leave me with? Any, any last words, any, any, anything that we haven't covered? I mean, I, I'm just, it's exciting to chat football. It definitely is. I think it's a bit of a relief that there is maybe some light at the end of whatever tunnel that we're all traveling through. I hope people still act responsibly and, and kind of treat it as something that we've got to earn collectively together. Um, and I say that as someone that lives in Athens, Georgia, and is just really hoping that some of the scenes from other college campuses aren't happening in Athens, Georgia. I don't know if the pictures haven't been taken, but I've been at least not aware of them uh, so far. So you know, we'll see what happens from here. I, I do think that there's good uh, plans of action in place. And the more that we can talk about the football stuff and get excited about that, I think the better off we're all going to be. Um, but that requires some some discipline from a lot of people. So uh, I, I think the people in charge in the SEC and, and specifically at Georgia have done a good job so far. Um, there, there's not enough good things to say about Ron Corson and what he's meant to Georgia and to the SEC in terms of, you know, his his knowledge as a longtime athletic trainer and just a, a medical um, foundation at this point for these players. And so, you know, it, anytime you, you have a chance to give a guy like that a shout out, I think they deserve it because the program doesn't happen without a Ron Corson. And there's a guy like that at every big time college campus. Or, or a woman like that, and, and the same goes for the league at the SEC level. So I hope people see the amount of work that has gone to get to this point, but also kind of see the amount of work that still has to happen here in the next three or four weeks. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I mean, that's very well said. Uh, you know, this thing is far from over. Um, hopefully the students at UGA realize that, and, and hopefully they act accordingly and, and hopefully around uh, the conference as well. Hopefully in ACC land and, and Big 12 land, uh, they act the same way. Um, Oklahoma certainly uh, could have used some better news. But, uh, again, uh, the, the good news in all that, you, you hate to see nine people get test, get popped uh, with positive tests, but um, it, is, it is good to see that they got they got it because they went home and not because they were in Norman. So that, that makes you feel a little bit better or as, or as good as you can. So, um, and then also, uh, to your point about these medical staffs, um, a lot of these major programs have hired nutritionists and, and extra people on strength and conditioning. And, you know, they've hired extra medical people, uh, mental health people, all of those people, um, that, they didn't know that they had the foresight to know that t- something like 2020 was going to happen. Now all of these people come in handy because 
all this stuff builds your immune system and it helps you fight it. So these college athletes have a great support system around them and they have a great team of people, uh, not just doctors, but people that are taking care of them. So uh, the, the statement goes, they're better off at college campuses. That is absolutely the truth because they're eating good meals. Uh, they're getting good training and they're getting great medical uh, advice from, from great doctors. Um, and that, that goes beyond UGA. That goes to most uh, big power five um, institutions. So, uh, that being said, uh, you know, I hope they play on and I hope everything continues to go like it is going uh, with uh, the SEC, ACC and Big 12. Uh, the, the further we get down this road means uh, the better whatever metrics they're looking at, uh, the, the better those are getting, obviously, and, and the more comfortable that these uh, teams of doctors are with uh, clearing these conferences for play. So. Uh, and I guess I can't leave you with one football nugget because uh, I, I did make my hasty predictions that are now pinned uh, to my Twitter profile. So uh, I, I have Georgia going nine and one, nice. losing at Alabama. Okay. I have Alabama also going nine and one. And so that will have Alabama and Georgia having a rematch. Nice. Who wins I don't the rematch? Th- I, I think Georgia would. I don't think uh, either of those teams could beat the other twice in such a small, right. you know, short period of time. Who's Bama losing to? I've got them losing to Auburn. Ooh, I, this is the this is the Auburn season I have, right? So I've got Auburn starting zero and two, losing to Kentucky, and then losing to Georgia, and then running the table. But it's not quite enough to win the West, right? They're, they're one. <laughs> that game such short. an Auburn season. That, that really is. You run the table, uh, and then you beat Bama, and you're still screwed. Um, that that seems like what Florida went through for several years, um, where they would they would beat us, but then they would lose like to somebody stupid, and then. As is a mess, but uh, at Dane Young on Twitter, uh, you can find these uh, hasty uh, predictions: uh, nine and one for Georgia, nine and one for Bama. Georgia winning the conference based on a rematch. Um, that's not just uh, red and black colored glasses. Um, I think there's a lot of merit behind that. Um, and if you listen to the season previews that we did uh, way back when, back in June, uh, you'll know why. And he breaks down the depth. Um, and him and Brent Rollins do a good job on UGA Sports with their opponent preview uh, section. So uh, make sure you tune into that. Make sure you tune into this. Make sure you subscribe um, to at Believe in Dogs on all social media platforms. Uh, you can catch us anywhere you catch your favorite podcast. Be sure to rate us, um, things like that. Leave a, uh, leave a review uh, for us. And, of course, all, as always, if you want to advertise at Believe.com, uh, B-L-E-A-V.com. Uh, for more details, they'll get you hooked up. Uh, Dane, it's always uh, as a, a pleasure as always. Um, I don't know if you're watching Australian rules football, but you should. Uh, just don't follow Port Ad- Adelaide, or I, I can't remember. The, they, they I'm get, not, so I'm not exactly sure your reference. But I'm rocking get, a Man U jersey right they, now, so uh, they get know, smoked every week. In let, let's get Europa out of here and start focusing on Champions League. We got there a new thing go. coming. There you go. We should start, we should start a soccer podcast again. I told you I told you before we I told you offline that uh, I was trying, I was uh, I was entering back into free agency. So um, I'm going to pick a team um, and I'm going to uh, I guess I'm going to use this season uh, to pick a team and then I will have one hopefully by Christmas because uh, the season starts uh, in the Premier League here pretty soon. So uh, that being said, uh, for Dane Young from UGASports.com, I'm Corey Burton. Uh, thank you and have a Great rest of your day. And as always, go dogs. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.